And let's open your Bibles to Malachi chapter 2. And um, I appreciate that song we just sang because of the, the prayer that it expresses for God to speak. And that was one of the problems that, uh, that was plaguing God's people at the time when Malachi was a prophet. This was roughly 2,500 years ago. And God was taking to task the leaders of the people, the priests in particular, because they were not listening to God. They just tuned out. Uh, they stopped praying, speak, Lord. We want to hear from you so that we can be blessed and the whole world can be full of your glory. Uh, and furthermore, they weren't, because they weren't listening, the words, the message of the priesthood um, became false. So these are some of the things that Malachi is addressing and we're studying in this book. And if you're new to Tabernacle, I know it's an Old Testament book and it's furthermore, it's one of the minor prophets. But, but uh, I think it's going to be rich for us as we study this because of how it's showing us what does consistent Christianity look like. Um, hypocrisy is one of the main problems that people have with the church. And sadly, it's a well-deserved complaint. It's a well-deserved criticism. Uh, but let me... Let me expand our, our scope of the problem of hypocrisy. It is not a religious problem. It is not a problem unique to the church or to Christianity or to any religion for that matter. It is a problem that has to do with our sinful human nature. And you see hypocrisy everywhere. If, if we can kind of get it out of that specifically religious category and start seeing it as inconsistency on behalf of all humanity... Uh, we don't have to go very far to see people like um, Bernie Madoff, who was supposed to be doing his job of investing on behalf of uh, investors who were trusting him to you know, do what he promised them to do, and instead it was a Ponzi scheme and there was no money, and, and he betrayed that trust and he acted hypocritically. He said he was going to do one thing and he did something else. And what about Jerry Sandusky? You know, here's a man who's got this youth program. He says, I'm, I'm in the best interest of these kids, and he ends up harming them. That's hypocrisy, in addition to all kinds of other stuff. What about Conrad Murray, you know, Michael Jackson's doctor? He's supposed to be doing what's good and helpful, you know, according to his Hippocratic oath. It's weird that he would be a hypocrite uh, in order to do harm uh, to Michael Jackson rather than help him, rather than bless him as a, a practice, uh, practitioner of medicine. Uh, so whether it's medicine, whether it's finance, whether it's, you know, college football, whatever the case may be, whether it's the church. Hypocrisy is something you've got to wrestle with. We have to address. We have to not only see that God cares about it, but we have to see how it applies to us as well. Let's stand in honor of God's word. I want to read verses two through, uh, I'm sorry, verses one through nine of chapter two. And uh, this is God's word. And now this admonition is for you, O priests. If you do not listen... And if you do not set your heart to honor my name, says the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have already cursed them, because you have not set your heart to honor me. Because of you, I will rebuke your descendants. I will spread on your faces the fall from your festival sacrifices, and you will be carried off with it. And you will know that I have sent you this admonition so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord Almighty. My covenant was with him, the covenant of life and peace, and I gave them to him. This called for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. 
True instruction was in his mouth, and nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and turned many from sin. For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge, and from his mouth men should seek instruction, because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty. But you have turned from the way, and by your teaching have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. So I have caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people, because you have not followed my ways, but have shown partiality in matters of the law. Father, we as your people, many years, indeed centuries removed from when these words were first spoken, we need to receive these words fresh. We need to know that they are timeless. They echo down through eternity. And they apply to us. And Lord, we pray for a more consistent Christianity in our lives. We pray that our lives would be more and more in conformity with your kingdom. Or that you would teach us to repent of the places where we grieve your Holy Spirit. That you would show us life and peace as we embrace the forgiveness that we have through Christ. And as we bring this message of grace and the gospel to our neighbors and to the nations for their blessing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. And there's, a, there's an outline you know, in your bulletin. If you find that helpful, great. I want to begin by um, making a bridge between last week where we saw God say to God's people, you are showing contempt for my name. And the Lord's honor was at stake. And God's people reply with, well, what do you mean? How have we shown contempt for your name? We, you know, they're a little slow. And God shows them that, well, you, you're sacrificing all these, you know, sick and diseased animals, and uh, you're not honoring my name and my worth and my glory and the things that you bring me for tribute. And now this is a continuation, basically, of that uh, explanation of how God's people are showing contempt for his name. And he's specifically targeting the, the priests now, not just the people and the sacrifices they're bringing, but the priests who are, are um, not only losing the message, but are, are settling for a, a very shallow kind of religion. Um, essentially, God's got an admonishment for them, a warning uh, against the hypocritical priests. And he says things like in verse 2, you don't listen. Uh, your ears aren't open to my word, my revelation. You have not set your heart to honor me. Uh, they had no affection for God anymore. They were just going through the motions, the routines of religion, and then it become dry and empty. There's no life there. You jump down to verse 8, and you see how uh, God says that you've turned from the way. Uh, there was a specific plan uh, that was going to demonstrate God's glory and his worth. And obviously there is so much in the Old Testament written about temple worship and how the priest should function and so on. And they had just said, you know, we're not even going to pay any attention to that. We're going to do our own thing. And they've turned from the way that God had instructed them in. And by your teaching, you've caused many to stumble. They're the ones that are supposed to be leading God's people, many, into paths of life and righteousness. And instead, they were teaching them to stumble. And that they have violated the covenant with Levi. And they have not followed God's uh, ways in verse 9. And they've, not, I mean, they've shown partiality in matters of the law. Um, so there's a number of things, obviously, that, that were grieving God. And he was admonishing them and warning them about. But I want you to see that God is not simply um, 
you know, we sometimes view admonishment or, or somebody saying, hey, here's what you do wrong as, uh, as just complaining or berating somebody. Um, if you've got one of those bosses who just all you ever hear from them is what you do wrong, uh, you know, maybe you understand this, but God's not in that business. When he's admonishing these leaders, these priests, he's inviting them to turn from the way that they have turned. They have turned away from God's ways, and God's inviting them to turn back. Anytime you see an admonishment in the Bible, Old Testament New Testament, it's always an invitation. It's a simultaneous invitation. He's not just reading them the riot act to just blow off steam and, and now he feels better about himself because he's you know, put them in their place. God's inviting them back so that the covenant with Levi may continue. You see that in the passage. He wants the priesthood to reform and to become pure again so that what he established may continue and may ultimately may be fulfilled. And Jesus does the same thing. Jesus admonishes the leaders of God's people. He, had ta- he takes on the priests. He takes on the teachers of the law. He says things like, you know, that are mess with our idea of gentle Jesus, meek and mild, when he says things like, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. And, and on and on, Jesus goes exposing the hypocrisy of the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. But when he does that, he's doing the same thing in terms of an invitation. Don't keep doing this. Turn and come back to the Lord who loves you, who ultimately sent Jesus, who ultimately would lay down his life as an expression of that love, as a means for restoration uh, and repentance. So, Uh, God is admonishing these leaders, and he is warning them that there will be contempt for those that don't repent. You have two choices, two roads, two paths. You can either turn from your turning or remain on this path that you have turned from, and uh, and then you will ultimately receive the same that that, that you've practiced, which is contempt. Because earlier they asked, well, how have we shown contempt for your name? And God says, if you continue to show contempt for my name, you will become contemptible. You will be despised among the nations. Look at verse 9. I've caused you to be uh, despised and humiliated before all the people because you have not followed my ways. Um, This is not a new dynamic. God says, if you dig a pit, you fall in it. Whatever you reap, you will sow. And this continues today among, you know, leaders. Priests, if you want to use that that language. Um, I you know, was 17, 18 years old when I started becoming aware of, you know, Christianity and the church and so on. And I remember seeing stories uh, about the televangelists, you know, in the late 80s, like 88, 89. Do you remember? Um, uh, it was Jimmy Swaggart uh, and his, his mess. Um, some of you don't know that name and, you know, that's okay. Um, anyway, he was, uh, had two and a half million people watching his show, millions of dollars coming into his ministry. And there were a lot of televangelists uh, that were making a lot of money uh, back in the 80s and the 90s. Get this, one com- uh, rival televangelist knew that, that uh, Jimmy Swaggart was up to no good and was using prostitutes and so on hired um, a, a private investigator or whatever to take pictures. This is another televangelist 
busting a fellow rival televangelist or whatever. And, uh, and there was this tearful uh, apology before his congregation and on TV or whatever. And his denomination asked him to step down from his leadership position for a year so that he could work on his personal life, you know, and get it in gear and kind of, you know, deal with his junk. He denied. He, he declined. Uh, he said, no, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm fine. And you're, two years later, he's caught with another prostitute. So, you know, there's one, one example. There's another one. Um, we were in Colorado this past summer, and, um, and we're in Colorado Springs visiting some family. Literally, I could see New Life um, uh, Christian Church, or I don't know the whole name of it, uh, where Ted Haggart um, was, the, was the, uh, the pastor before he fell into sin and you know, his hypocrisy was exposed. He was the president of the National Association of Evangelicals. And, uh, and he, his heart was not close to God. He had turned from God's way and so on. And, and it, it continues today. I mean, you still read about other leaders and, and ministry leaders. Uh, Cardinal Bernard Law, Archbishop of, uh, I think, the Chicago Diocese, you know, covering up for the, the, the sexual scandal, the abuse scandal for the priests and stuff. You know? And plenty of lives are being destroyed because you know, of the hypocrisy going on. And these are just the names that we recognize that get in the newspapers or on the evening news. But I've got to tell you, all over the world, all over the United States, all over Virginia, all over Augusta County, all over Stanton, all over Waynesboro, the hearts of people who say that they are following God, who say that they love the Lord, are turning, are turning away from God. And they're just, it's just these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So whether it's something sensational and millions of dollars and lots of lives are you know, being affected or whether it's just in real anonymous ways, uh, hypocrisy is something we all have to wrestle with. We all have to deal with. It's, it's just an epidemic. It's part of the human condition. And it's especially tragic in the context of the church because in the church we have the true priest. The true priest who says that if you turn to me, even you priests, you know, you leaders, and everybody else, if you turn to the priest of priests, the king of kings, the lord of lords, we can be restored. And if you don't, contemptibility is, is ultimately your fate. But through the true priest, the priest of priests, we receive the blessing that was a part of what God initially expressed in the covenant with Levi. Look again at verses uh, 5, 6, and 7. Uh, and tell me if this doesn't sound like somebody that, uh, you know, that, that is familiar to us as Christians. Um, here's, what, uh, here's how it's described. My covenant was with Levi, a covenant of life and peace, and I gave them to him, and this called for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and nothing false was found on his lips, and he walked with me in peace and uprightness and turned many from sin. For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge, and from his mouth men should seek instruction because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty. So this is this description of this covenant with Levi. Let me give you a little background because I know that some of you, you know, you, you're like me. When I was starting to get to know uh, the church and the Bible and religion, I just was like, I don't have any idea what this is about. So in the Old Testament, you had a whole category of priests. And they were the descendants of Levi. Levi was uh, basically one of the tribes of of Israel. And that entire tribe was set apart by God to serve in the temple and to stand in the gap 
between a holy God and sinful humanity. Because holiness and sinfulness don't mix. They're oil and water. But through God's wonderful ways, the miracle of you know, the priesthood, there was, there was a gap that could be breached by these people who would simultaneously represent a holy God uh, to a sinful world and would represent sinful humanity before, before God's presence. So as uh, humanity's representative, these priests would come and they would offer the sacrifices and they would say this is an expression of our, our remorse for our sin. We know that without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. That's what the Bible says. Um, and the faithful priests would be totally um, upcoming and forthright about the fact that, you know what, these are just animals. And they can't adequately take away our sins, but by faith we are trusting that God has made a way. God has made a sacrifice for sins. And that by trusting that this animal represents the justice for sin, I am reconciled and I am at peace with my God by faith. That's what the faithful priests would say. As representatives of sinful humanity, they would come and bring the offerings and they would, you know, represent humanity. They would also offer, sin, offer sacrifices on behalf of themselves because the priests themselves were sinful, just like everybody else. The priests were also representatives of God. So they were not just representing sinful humanity, they were representing a holy God. And a holy God was saying to a, a, a world that was fallen and broken and, and lost and ruined, I am not leaving you in this condition. I'm going to love you. I'm going to pursue you. I'm going to reconcile uh, myself to you through these means, you know, the blood and the temple and all that, that are pointing to an ultimate restoration, an ultimate rejoining together of a holy God and his creation and the apex of his creation, which is humanity. Men and women made in his image. That was what he was announcing to the world. And the priests were to be God's messengers. Uh, we're reading Malachi. Malachi's name meant messenger. And he was declaring, listen, there's a serious problem right now because God's messengers are no longer speaking God's words. They're not even listening. And they're leading people on paths that are, that are taking them astray. But through the priests, God wanted to tell the watching world, and he still tells us today, things like what Isaiah preached when he said, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. That's what our God wants the world to hear. That's what the priests are supposed to declare. That there's forgiveness, there's restoration. Contemptibility does not have to be your fate. Separation from God and his peace and his blessing does not have to be anybody's fate. But through the gospel, we can be reconciled through this greater priest than than even Levi. Um, And that's what I want to explain right now. Another bit of background is that even as as wonderful as um, the true priests were, as they were faithful representatives of humanity and they were also faithful in their um, representing God, they were still sinful. And even that priesthood was meant to be temporary. It was meant to be like triage. The Old Testament sacrificial system was not the fullness of what God was accomplishing as uh, a God who was going to reconcile himself to humanity. They were like the, the spiritual paramedics. They were getting people patched up 
in preparation for the real spiritual surgery that would take place under the true physician of our souls. That's what they were, they were doing. They were pointing to one who would come, the true priest, the great high priest, the one who would radically alter, but at the same time fulfill what the priesthood was about. Uh, along comes Jesus, and he becomes the great high priest. But he's not descended from Levi. Instead, Hebrews tells us that he's in the line of Melchizedek, one of those you know, religious-sounding words, one of those Bible names that you meet these families and all their children are named after Old Testament people. And here's little Melchizedek. You know. Oh, Mel, good to meet you. Um, so kind of a strange name. Uh, some of you aren't familiar with Melchizedek, but he was this priest who shows up in Genesis and Abraham, the father of you know, Israel, the father of God's Old Testament people, pays tribute to Melchizedek. And the New Testament goes at lengths to explain how great Melchizedek was in light of that fact and how Jesus is a high priest in the line of Melchizedek because the Levitical priesthood was not enough, was not sufficient, and was always meant to just be a temporary priesthood until the true priest, the priest of priests, would come. Listen to how Hebrews puts it. The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless. But the law made nothing perfect, and a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. Such a high priest meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens, and unlike other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day by day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. The unique priest who represented man as a man and God as God was both the sacrificer and the sacrificial offer. That is where everything was pointing. Everything was zeroed in on Jesus, who becomes the great priest, the priest of priests, who revered God's name. You know, he would say things like in John chapter 8, the one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. And he revered God's name. It wasn't simply that Jesus um, fulfilled all the law so that he could check the box and brag about his moral, um, you know, pedigree. Look how great I did, you know, at keeping all of the law. He had a deeper motive in mind, and that was to revere God's name. That's what a priest should do. His, God's name and renown was, was the desire of Jesus' heart. And that's why he kept all of the requirements of the law for us, ultimately to glorify God, to revere his name, because he knew that it was close to God's heart, and he wanted to please his Father. So he would revere God's name. Um, He had true instruction was in his mouth, and he honored God with his lips, and he would say things like, I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. And lastly, he turned many from sin, right? That was what the priesthood was supposed to be doing, but they, you know, had lost sight of that. And Jesus, when he was, on the night that he was betrayed, he he took that cup, and he gave thanks. He said, "This, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins for many. And that was what he was doing on the cross. 
His blood was being poured out so that the sins of many could be forgiven. And he would turn many from their sins. As many as put their faith in him. As many of you put their, your faith in Jesus. That true priest who himself was the sacrifice to take away the penalty for our sins. Who himself shed his blood so that we may have life through him. That covenant of life and peace so that we can draw near to God without any penalty, without any punishment reconciled to him, at peace with him, and beginning our new life with him. That was what Jesus did. That was his mission. That was his accomplishment. And now, uh, through this ministry of Jesus, everybody is a priest who is in Christ. There's another sense in which everybody is a priest regardless of whether they're related to Jesus or not, because everybody wants to draw near to God, whether they admit it or not. Even atheists do. Even atheists do. Even atheists want uh, peace with whatever, you know, is in existence, whether that's a higher power or not, you know, if they don't admit it. But let me just, let me just explain three different categories of priests. If you boil it all down, you can basically look at three different groups. The priesthood of achievers, the priesthood of deceivers, and the priesthood of believers. And the gospel puts us in that category, that last category, this, this third group of people who are simply believing what God has spoken to us through this Savior, through this priest of priests. But the first two categories uh, encapsulate, I, I believe, the rest of the world. The priesthood of achievers are, is every single person out there, whether they're in a church or a mosque or a temple or on a golf course or at an art show, you know, or wherever they are on Sunday morning or whatever holy day it is, they are trying to earn God's favor based on their works, based on the things that they do to achieve uh, and measure up. You know, their view of God is such that he's holy, that whatever that higher power is, you know, I have to stand before him, I have to answer, and I'm going to be held accountable for my life. But I have the resources within myself to measure up. If I try hard enough, I can impress God. I can measure up. The focus is on the law. The focus is on a code or some kind of list of, of requirements that if I, if I check those boxes, God will be obligated to accept me. And for some people, that, that code, that, those boxes that they're checking are the Ten Commandments, right? For other people, it's, it's the Noble Eightfold Path, the Five Pillars or whatever. For others, it's just simply the code of niceness. I have a nice family. My kids are nice. I have a good job. You know, I'm, I'm a nice person. God is going to accept me because I work hard at being nice. Maybe it's the code of success. You know, I, good grief. You know, Mark Zuckerberg is worth $12 billion. Is God going to not accept somebody so successful? That's the, that's the priesthood of achievers thinking that God is obligated to accept you because of what you do in his sight to make him accept you. And then you've got this other group, the priesthood of deceivers. And the deception comes in thinking of God as, you know, not much to be reckoned with. He's just sort of, he's just a nice God, he's kind, and he's obligated to forgive everybody, you know, because at their core, I know, I know people can mess up big time and they do some awful things, but at our core, we're fundamentally good, right? 
everybody's a good person inside, and, you know, bad things happen, and they cause us to do bad things and so on, but, but at our core, we're really, really good people. And the focus is on, isn't on a, a law or a code. It's on the self. Look at me. I'm a good person. And God's a good God, and it's all going to be okay in the end. And the message of that priesthood is don't worry about it. God's the father of every single person and everybody's his children and, you know, some, you know, they're misbehaving more than others, but it's okay. The message of that priesthood is fundamentally lies about the character of God, lies about our character. The message of the priesthood of achievers, the same thing, fundamentally our lives too. God's holiness isn't so high that, you know, we can't measure up and I'm not so bad that I can't muster enough goodness. Those are two fundamentally flawed priesthoods. Whether they're in religious circles or secular circles, everybody's trying to do something to make their life count and have peace with whatever that higher power is, whatever. And along comes Jesus, the priest of priests, who says, I'm going to lead you in a new way. I'm going to lead you in a new way of access to God that isn't based on your achievement and it isn't based on just dumbing everything down so that everybody's just okay in the end. The priesthood of believers looks at a Savior who gave his life on a cross and who was risen from the dead so that he would return to make the crooked straight, to wipe every tear from our eyes and remove the curse, to remove the evil and remove the wickedness from this world that we don't turn a blind eye to and we acknowledge it deserves justice. Somebody's kid gets harmed by a predator, that deserves justice. There's no such thing as, you know, everybody's getting in. Except those who believe. Those who believe don't have their focus on a code. They don't have their focus on themselves. You know, who you know where their focus is? It's on Jesus. That's where our focus is. Our focus is on the one who died and was buried and rose again to forgive our sins and to bring us at peace with God. And we still mess up. There are days, you know, where I think you're like me, right? And you start to think and assume... You know, uh, if I get my act together, God's going to like me and he's going to bless me. If I do this, 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 and this, if I can get my chessboard of my life, you know, arranged in such a way, then, then God's going to be, God's going to bless me. He's going to take care of me. Or there's other days where I just think, well, I can, I can just kind of take it easy. I can lay back. I can chill. I don't have to work too hard in this relationship with God. And it's all going to be good in the end anyway. And I start to believe those things. Maybe you do too. You know what sets the priesthood of believers apart at that moment? It's not that we think much differently. It's that we then repent. And we acknowledge those two ways of getting to God are false. I can't go that direction. I have to turn from that direction toward the Savior. And I repent. And I believe. And so do you. And that's what we do as the priesthood of believers. We believe in Jesus. We receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he's offered to us in the gospel. And then as that priesthood of believers, we are not priests because of a birthright descended from Levi or from Aaron or whoever. We are priests by virtue of our new birth. The new birth of the kingdom of God where we are now commissioned to go out and to declare this message. Peace with God through Jesus Christ, that becomes the message of this new priesthood. 
And we give our lives, the sacrifices of the, the fruit of our lips, our praises, which is what you've been doing all morning, you know, singing and praying and so on. It's what we continue to do the rest of the day as we give thanks, as we acknowledge his goodness, as we tell others you know, about his kindness to us, especially through Jesus. And I know sometimes we get tongue-tied. We feel like, I don't know how to share the gospel. I don't know what to say to somebody. Gosh, I hope you do, though. I hope at your core you know it's fundamentally about Jesus. The lips of a priest should preserve knowledge, and by his mouth people should seek instruction. Parents, your kids should be able to seek instruction about the gospel from you. You ought to be able to answer their questions about how can I live in relationship with Jesus. Don't trust your Sunday school teachers. Don't trust your children's church teachers to do that. They're helping you, but you are the primary discipler. Husbands and wives, you need to be able to teach and instruct one another and help each other. You need to be able to go to your workplaces if you're an employee, or if you need to be able to go to your classroom if you're a student, be able to tell your neighbors, how are you going to have peace with God through Jesus Christ? Don't ever complicate it. Don't get hung up. We're about to share the Apostles' Creed. You know what? If that's all it takes, share the Apostles' Creed with them. This is what I believe. And then as a priest, invite them to come with you. Be that mediator. Between, you, between them and God, bring them along. Bring them to Tabernacle. Bring them wherever you go to church so they can hear, so they can experience the priesthood of believers who are giving sacrifices of praise, the fruit of lips that, that praise his name, where they can see your life, a life of integrity, being lived out of love, trying to love because he first loved us. And together, together, as repenting believers, repenting priests, We give glory to the one who is the priest of priests, the one who, according to Isaiah, says, you will be called priests of the Lord, and you will be named ministers of our God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have loved us, that you have given us the ministry of priesthood. And we confess, that's why we confess our sins, uh, that we do not do this uh, uh, with every ounce of our being, but we pray more and more each day that we would learn to love you more with more of our heart, more of our soul, more of our strength, and that we would be honest about our hypocrisy, that we'd be honest about our inconsistency, that we would repent of those things, and Lord, that we would hopefully uh, give those who are skeptical about religion, skeptical about Christianity, a little less reason uh, to consider the church is just full of hypocrites. But instead, maybe they would start seeing the church as full of repenting hypocrites. They would see the church as full of men and women and children who are being honest about the ways that our lives uh, need to conform to your kingdom and the glories of the one who is conforming us, the one who is loving us, the one who is teaching us to love as he has loved us, to be honest about the places where we fail and to glorify the one who gave his life so that we can be forgiven. We pray in his name.